By the way, this is the worst place to live. In the middle. Like you're going to be a Christian. Be a Christian. Go for it. If you're not going to be a Christian, don't be a Christian. And go for that. It'll lead to a horrible end. But at least you're committed. Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better. Because God loves you. And God has a plan for you. And God wants to transform your life. And He's told us everything you need to know about Him and life in general in this book, the Bible, the user's manual of life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. See, it's hard for us to wait on the Lord because we're a culture of instant gratification. And whatever you want, you can get it right now. You want your music, you download your music. You want to watch a movie, you stream it. How many of you remember Blockbuster Video? And you would go down there and you would rent this thing called a videotape. And remember it had this little sign, be kind, rewind, right? And then DVDs came out. That was so revolutionary. And they came to us from Netflix and little packages. And and we'd watch them and we'd send them back. But now we stream everything. You want food, you shoot out a text. They'll bring it to your door. You want uh, uh, to order something, you can get it at Amazon. Same day delivery. And so we expect God to work quickly. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he works faster than we can even imagine. And other times he just takes his sweet time. But it is sweet time. Because I love what Isaiah tells us over in chapter 40, verse 31. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. And they'll walk and not faint. I think one of the reasons we're so depleted and and exhausted and, and worn out is we're not waiting on the Lord. We just live in a constant flurry of activity and we don't slow down. That's what Elijah did as the Lord was getting him ready because when you see a work of God happen, it's the right person in the right place at the right time. The Bible says God makes all things perfect in his time. Well, now the wait is over. So Elijah is headed to see Ahab. Remember, Elijah's been gone for over three years. Everyone's looking for him. There's posters, wanted, dead or alive, preferably dead. Elijah the prophet, he's on the side of milk cartons. Everyone's looking for him. No one's seen him. All of a sudden, here he is. Hard guy to miss. And he encounters Obadiah, who's introduced to us in 1 Kings 18, verse two. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. Now a critic might say, well, Obadiah, he was a compromiser. He should have spoken up more, like Elijah. No, not everyone is called to be an Elijah. Some people are called to be an Obadiah. God always puts his people in the most amazing places. You just never know. So our job is to be an influence where we are. 
You know, look at Queen Esther. <laughs> Someone could say, well, what's she doing entering a beauty contest? That's not very spiritual. Well, she won the beauty contest and was brought into the court of the king and she did not reveal it first. She was Jewish, but when the time is right and when it needed to be done, she put it all on the line and spoke up for her fellow Jewish people and literally saved all of them because of what she did. As scripture says, she was placed there for such a time as this. I find it interesting, Elijah does not criticize or condemn Obadiah. He just says, go do your job, tell the king Elijah's back. And so now the king is going to encounter Elijah. You know, sometimes we look at someone else and we say, well, why are they doing that that way? I don't agree with it. They should do it the way I think they should do it. And it reminds me of the statement of Peter to Jesus when Jesus implied that John would live longer and Peter would die. And so Peter points at John and says, well, what about this man? Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow me. So instead of looking at others and critiquing them and thinking they're not doing as good of a job as you think they should do, just make sure you're doing the job God has called you to do. So Obadiah tells Ahab that Elijah's back. First Kings chapter 18, verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And when he saw him, he exclaimed, is that really you, the troublemaker of Israel? I didn't make any trouble for Israel, Elijah replies. You and your family are the troublemakers and you've refused to obey the commands of the Lord and you've worshiped the images of Baal instead. We'll stop there. So he calls them the troublemaker of Israel. The word troublemaker means one who wrecks havoc, who is a pestilence or is a plague. The Hebrew word is snake. So effectively Ahab said, oh, there you are, you snake in the grass. The one who troubles Israel, Elijah says, it's not me, it's you and your family because of your idol worship. We need more troublemakers like Elijah today that make us stand for what is true. And now Elijah says, okay, let, let's do this now. How about if you get all the prophets of Baal and we meet up on Mount Carmel. In fact, while you're at it, why don't you get the prophets of Ashtoreth too? So totally, or totaling that, that would be 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth versus one prophet of the Lord. Well, let's do this and we'll see which God is really real. Here's what amazes me is Ahab agrees to this. Why would he agree? What good had Baal done for him? Baal was the weather god. Baal was the God over the elements, the sun and the clouds and the rain and, and they've had a drought for over three years and Baal wasn't able to help them. Baal was a dud. And so Elijah says, let's, let's do this. And Ahab says, yeah, sounds good to me. Why would Ahab agree to this? Simple answer, sin makes you stupid. So he agrees for this big contest up on Mount Carmel. First Kings 18, 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets of Mount Carmel. Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But look at this verse. But the people were completely silent. Why were they silent? The silence was deafening. 
The reason they were silent is because they believed in many gods. They did not want to stop, you see. They wanted to have it both ways. They wanted the Lord God, but they wanted the other gods too because there were some fringe benefits. So Elijah says, go, you guys go first. Elijah turned him and said, say when. No, that was Doc Holliday with Johnny Ringo and Tombstone, never mind. How many of you got that joke? Just men, only men. Anyway, say when, let's do it. First Kings 18, 26, so they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar, called in the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. And they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. This was pathetic. So we might laugh at this, but let me ask this. Can you still worship an idol today? I think idolatry is alive and well. An idol, a false god, is not merely an image that we would bow before that would include that. An idol, listen, is anyone or anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Anyone or anything that takes the place of God in our lives. This is why the Apostle John, toward the end of his life, gave these words of wisdom when he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie with a few words about hypocrisy. You know, maybe you've had someone say to you as a Christian when you said or did something inconsistent with what you profess to believe, you're a hypocrite. Well, maybe. What is a hypocrite? First of all, if you say you believe something and don't always live up to it, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a hypocrite. It means you're a, well, human. Because we all sin. We all fall short. We all have moments of inconsistency in our life. A hypocrite is different. In the strictest sense of what it is in the Bible, it is an actor. That is the root word of hypocrite, an actor. It's someone who pretends to be something they are not. Not somebody that believes something and doesn't always live up to it, but someone who's putting on a show, a performance. Example, Judas Iscariot was the hypocrite extraordinaire. He wanted to come off as such a spiritual guy. Uh, there's an occasion where a woman took a, some ointment, uh, some perfume, and anointed the feet of Jesus with it. It was a very extravagant gift she gave to our Lord. And, and Judas spoke up and said, this is a waste of money. This could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But the Bible says he didn't say that because he cared about the poor, but because he was stealing the money. Here's my point. Don't be an actor. Don't be a performer. Don't be a phony. We all mess up. And let me close with a response to people who would say, well, the reason I'm not a Christian is there's too many hypocrites in the church. Here's my response. Ready for it? Hey, there's always room for one more. (laughs) I'm not excusing hypocrisy. I'm just saying don't use that as an excuse to keep you away from the Lord. Listen, Jesus will always be who he claims to be in your life. You follow him. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. 
you'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. So here's the question to answer. If you want to know what your God is or who your God is, what do you get excited about in the morning? Some would say breakfast. That would be me, actually. But now what fires you up? What are you passionate about? You know you can be talking to somebody and there's not much of a conversation and suddenly you get to their favorite subject and they become animated and they light up and off they go. That could be potentially your God. An idol is not usually a bad thing. The most dangerous idols are good things that are twisted. Listen, it's a good thing you made into a God thing. Does that make sense? For instance, there's nothing wrong with pursuing a career. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. There's nothing wrong with certain sports we engage in, but don't let a good thing become a God thing. How do you know what a person is passionate about? Hey, start with their social media. You know, a lot of employers nowadays, they check a person's social media before they hire them. So what have they tweeted? Uh, what have they post on Instagram? What have they said on Facebook? And you know, you look at the way some people are and they're, they're all worked up on their social media. You know, actually Jesus said, where your posts are, there will your heart be also. <laughs> Not really. He actually said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But the Bible does say, out of the abundance of a heart, a man will tweet. No, not really. <laughs> but there's truth to that. He'll speak, but, so what are you really into? You know, I know certain people that used to do posts about their faith and would put scriptures up and words of encouragement, and I don't know what happened to these people, but then one day they turned into renters, right? And it's big bold type. Everything's in caps. Sometimes white letters reversed out of black. Even better, red letters reversed out of black. Ranting about whatever it is and it's conspiracy theories or this thing or that thing. Hey, what happened? Has that possibly taken the place of the Lord in your life? You can make yourself a God. You can worship yourself. You don't pray to yourself. Our Greg who art in heaven. No, you don't do that but you're so focused on yourself, that has become your God. Romans 1.25 says, they traded the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Some people worship their bodies. They worship at the first church of the perfect physique, right? They have hundreds of photos of themselves on social media doing the trout pout. You know what the trout pout is? Girls, I'm talking to you now. It's that look where you kind of look at the camera, hold it up like this, little selfie, and you do the little pucker thing, and you, it's called the trout pout. Yeah, listen, you can do whatever you want. You can nip it, tuck it, lift it, tighten it, <laughs> tat it, color it. But you can make a god out of your own body, right? Others bow at the altar of pleasure. Even others bow at the altar of fame or possessions, 
Or for somebody else, their God could be money. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 5, covetousness is idolatry. Now, we think, yes, anyone who has a lot of money, that's their God. Hold on. Your God could be money if you don't even have that much of it. Because here's what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. Money is not good. Money is neutral. You determine if it will be good, used for good or evil. But the love of money is the source or the root of all kinds of evil. You trust in these things. Here's the bottom line. God in the Ten Commandments is saying, I want you to know what matters to me. Now if we were to write the Ten Commandments today, we might reorder them a little. We might say commandment number one is, thou shalt not murder. Is that commandment number one? No. Or we might say, oh, thou shalt not steal. Or thou shalt not lie. Or thou shalt not commit adultery. Those matter a lot. But commandment number one is the Lord speaking, I am the Lord God, and I don't want you to have any other gods before me. See, if you have that area right, everything else will find its proper balance. If God is not number one in your life, everything will collapse into chaos. Why does God want to be number one? Because he wants a relationship with you. And he tells us his motive in Exodus 20, verse four, he says, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. I've heard people say, oh, God's jealous, he's paranoid, he's insecure. No, 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 that's not what that means. When God says, I'm a jealous God, that speaks of a mark of relationship. Think about this, wives, if your husband came up and said, honey, I love you, we've been married 20 years, but I now have five other girlfriends. Are you cool with that? And she'll pick up a frying pan and say, are you cool with uh, the omelet I'm gonna make you right now? I don't know, it's like, no way. No self-respecting wife would go along with that game plan. You want an exclusive relationship with your husband or with your wife. The same is true of the Lord. He's saying, look, these people are worshiping false gods, Baal and Ashtoreth, and I want them to worship me. It's not that they stopped worshiping the Lord. It's that they were worshiping the Lord, in quotes, and these false gods. Why? Because there were fringe benefits to worshiping Ashtoreth, the goddess of fertility. You could go down to her little temple and there were all kinds of sexual things one could engage in. So they're thinking, I kinda, I wanna have it all. You know, kinda the best of both worlds. So it doesn't work. So that's why Elijah's saying, stop going back and forth between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. And we have it today. You know, people say, I'm a Christian, but uh, yeah, we're having sex before marriage, but it's okay, the Lord said, it's cool, my child. No, he didn't. Because God would never contradict his word. And the Bible says, this is the will of God that you abstain from immorality. Or you might say, oh, well, you know, we're living together. We're not married, but it's all right. We love the Lord. Now, hold on. That's outside of God's will as well. And by the way, living together is the best way to sabotage a potential marriage Studies have actually shown that couples who live together have a far higher divorce rate than those who don't. If you want to set your marriage up for failure, then live together. 
No, but they're trying to live in two worlds. Oh yes, I love the Lord. I'm at church on Sunday and it's great. I'm even in a small group, but yeah, we're still gonna go out and party. We're gonna get drunk. We're gonna get high, whatever. Hold on. How long are you gonna jump back and forth between two opinions? The Bible says, go big or go home. The Bible doesn't say that, but the, the thought is there. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. See, these people who are trying to live in two worlds, they have enough of the world to be miserable in God and enough of God to be miserable in the world. By the way, this is the worst place to live, in the middle. Like you're gonna be a Christian, be a Christian. Go for it. If you're not gonna be a Christian, don't be a Christian. And go for that, it'll lead to a horrible end. But at least you're committed. But this middle spot where you're going back and forth, this is the most miserable of all places to live. And that's what he's calling him out on. He's saying, come on now guys, make your choice. Now Elijah is gonna have a little fun at their expense. Look at 1 Kings 18, 27. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I love that verse. Because I am a mocker. I enjoy mocking. And Elijah apparently did as well. He started mocking them. Hey, you guys, you have to shout louder. For he's a god, they're calling out to Baal. Maybe he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. By the way, this is accurate. I'm reading from the New Living uh, Translation, but that is exactly what he said. Maybe your God's in the celestial outhouse, guys. So he's obviously making fun of them. And, or maybe he's away on a trip. Or he's asleep. Or needs to be wakened. Verse 28, they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. I love this verse. But still there was no sound. No reply, no response. Why? Because these false gods are not real. These people are slashing themselves to death. You know, I think sometimes even as Christians, we kind of bring this kind of thinking into our faith and think we have to do a lot of things to get God's approval so he'll listen to our prayers. I need to slash myself. I need to hurt myself. I need to do this other thing so God will love me. Listen to this. God loves you no matter what. That's an established fact in the universe. He loves you. And the only reason you can approach God is not because of what you do for him but because of what he's done for you. And he proved this love to you by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. See, God took his wrath and anger and judgment and put it upon his own beloved son who died in your place. Let me wrap this up by just saying that there may be an idol in your life. Oh, I don't have an idol. I worship the Lord. Do you? Well, what are you passionate about? What are you the most excited about? What makes your you know, blood really begin to start running and, and excites you? And that really can become your God. Listen, the Lord wants to be your God. Don't settle for a cheap substitute. All these empty pursuits in our culture today will leave you empty. What you're longing for deep down inside is a relationship with the Lord and he longs for an exclusive relationship with you. And no matter who you are, 
God can forgive you of your sin and you can enter into a relationship with Him. Stop hopping back and forth between two opinions. Get out of that spiritual no man's land. Don't be a mugwump. How many of you know what a mugwump is? I'm going to tell you. A mugwump. It's someone who sits on the fence. Their mug is on one end and their wump is on the other. Get off the fence. If the Lord is God, and He is, serve Him. If Baal is God, serve Him. Oh, Baal's false. Whatever that other God is, it won't save you in that last day. But Jesus will. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because He loves you. And He wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and He knocks and He says, if you'll hear His voice and open the door, He will come in. Question. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, 
titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.